Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. Demas has fallen in love with the present world and has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He has been a big help to me in the ministry. I sent Tychius to Ephesus. And when you come, bring along the coat I left with Carpus and Troas. Also bring my books and especially my papers. Alexander the craftsman who works with metal has really hurt me. The Lord will pay him back for what he has done. But watch out for him because he opposes our teaching. No one took my side at the first court hearing. Everyone deserted me. I hope that God doesn't hold it against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength so that the entire message would be preached through me and so all the nations could hear it. I was also rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil action and will save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and always. Amen. Well, uh, t today is our, our last in this three-lesson series that I've been doing. You know that the, uh, the beginnings of this sermon came in, in the thought that we were going to be getting my replacement. Conversations had, had been going great and everything just looked wonderful. And then and I, I expected in late spring or early summer that we would have our, our new pastors in place. But such did not happen and, and you're still stuck with me. So I thought that what I was thinking about in preparation for that event is still relevant still pertinent to us, and I didn't want to let those three sermons that I had written go to waste. In the first sermon, we talked about the intentionality of the church. We talked about people like Antioch that had such a missional, intentional kind of point of view when it came to the gospel. They're the ones that sent Paul and Silas on, on, off on their first missionary journey, laid hands on them. Antioch was the, the center of that first big church controversy about circumcision. It, a great church, uh, a great ethnically diverse church, which was pretty amazing because the Jerusalem church, which was all Jews, did not know what to do with Antioch. And so there, there's just a lot of things about that place. In the second lesson, we looked at the momentum of the church and God's God's intention for us that we would all be involved. And so if you recall, we talked about the, the flywheel, that, that ride that Bev and I and our kids got on, and uh, there's no motor, there's nothing that makes it go. You get in this cage and you start rocking back and forth, and as this cage develops momentum, it goes from 6 o'clock to 3 o'clock to 9 o'clock, and if you keep, keep going, this arm keeps storing energy and before long, you're at 12 o'clock and coming over for the first time. And at that point, it becomes maintenance momentum. The energy that you have to expend has to, it can decline because it's not needed to be that severe. But I, I threw out the question of what would happen, let's say there were five people in our family, 
And so there are five of us in the cage, and let's say four of us, which would be 60%, uh, pardon me, 80% of our group, decided that they were just going to sit down on the floor and not do anything. What would happen to our momentum? What could we do as a group in making that flywheel go? Not very much. This was all based on the Pareto principle, which says that 20% produces 80%. So, so that's, that's what we looked at in the second one. In this third one, I wanted you to start thinking about your relationship to the new pastor. I really don't think churches do a very good job of helping people understand this. And the church in the New Testament did not resemble in any way what we do today. There is no way that it resembles. Our singing is four-part harmony. They chanted. No instruments. For the most part, they were very small groups. If you look at the end of, of Romans, Paul writes these, he, he writes in this letter these greetings to all these little church groups in Rome that could sit in a house. I could go on. Also, the way they were governed, kind of how they, how they took care of themselves, how they made sure that false teachers didn't get in and disrupt their life as a church. Also, there, there was no role in these churches similar to modern-day pastors. There just weren't. They didn't have that. Today, in many churches, it's like the church is a hireling and you're, you're hired to take care of them and them alone. I remember a group of elders and I was telling them some of the things that I was involved in in the community. And they, they looked at me with this puzzled look like, why would you want to do that? Don't you want to just take care of us? Well... There are also no special programs. You didn't shop churches for whether or not they had a good youth program or whether they had this or that or the other. You just didn't. This group was your group. You weren't going to find anything else like it anywhere. And you stuck it out through thick and thin. You stayed with that group. And you, you loved that group and you got to know that group. Well, it's been 21, 20, 21 centuries since that first century church. And times have changed. Culture has changed. Technology has become a thing. Travel, transportation, all that has changed. And one of the things that has had to change as time has gone on has been the church. Changed the way we look at ourselves. What is our relationship to this culture going to be like? And I, I think also uh, the church's relationship to pastors. When Joel and I were talking about this, I, I told Joel that last Wednesday, or last Sun, Monday, that one of the things I wanted to avoid is, is I don't want you uh, to hear uh, shrillness or self-serving or anything. None of that has anything to do with this. 
But I have, since I'm talking about pastors, I have to use some I words occasionally. So just forgive me for that. I'm taking Paul as my model, and the text that Joel read to us this morning is very pertinent to what we'll be talking about. Number one, pastors have needs. And you really see this in, in Paul a lot in this text. Paul doesn't play poor me. Uh, you know, he's not playing his fiddle, saying, I, I want you to feel sorry for me. Yet there are at times in the letters moments when Paul kind of pops up and says, well, if you want to play that game, let me, let me talk about myself a little bit. So, so there's that. I'm reading between the lines, but I'm thinking that Paul must have been feeling low at the moment at which our text, he was writing the lines of the text today. Because Demas has left him, Paul said because he loved the present world. We don't know what that was, but he just got distracted and moved on and left Paul. And Paul felt deserted. That was the word that he used. And then there's also uh, uh, Crescens and Titus. Now, they haven't left him. They're just somewhere else doing the work of the Lord. But the, the end result of all that is Paul is feeling really lonely, really left alone in the work that he's doing. And so Paul sets about to, to fill that void. Now, remember the point here is that pastors have needs. So Paul says to Timothy, go get Mark. Remember Mark? John Mark is the guy that Paul had a falling out with uh, when he went to with Silas on his first missionary journey. But things have obviously gotten better. And Paul says, go get Mark. He's useful to me. He will help me out. He says, Timothy, when you go, bring back my coats from Carpus' house. I don't know why Paul left them there. Maybe he just got up from his chair and forgot. Or maybe it was too hot to carry the coats. Whatever the reason, he's left his coats. Please bring those. Those would come in handy now. And he says, don't forget the books and the parchments. Paul has, has needs. He, there's some things that he needs in order to get on with life and to do ministry. I think Paul was able to survive even in a difficult situation in a Roman prison, which is where he is right now. Because he knew that he could depend on some of his co-workers. He knew he could depend on Timothy. He knew he could depend, depend on Mark. Although Titus and Crescens weren't there, he knew that he could depend on them. By contrast, I think that the way churches are often configured causes pastors to have a unique situation with one church, one campus, rather than a whole region, which is what Paul was relating to, and a team of co-workers. We tend to think more today in terms of autonomy. And I think today, uh, this is probably more true of, of uh, small churches like LifeSpring or churches that have 
no central government, but uh, pastors have to find a way to get the resources that they need. Uh, get Mark, he's useful to me. Get the parchments, get, get the documents, the, the books. I sort of imagine pastors as walking around with a bucket. And, and the bucket contains the resources that they do ministry with. And the bucket has holes in it. So you have to keep putting stuff in it. Because you use up resources doing ministry. You use up resources uh, being discouraged and trying to work through difficult situations. And so it's something that needs to be done. If I were talking to a, a church today that has the resources to do this, I would say make sure that you give your pastor a sabbatical, a real honest-to-goodness sabbatical. Insist that he goes to workshops and conferences that will fill his bucket. Because you know who benefits when his bucket is, bucket is full? It's the church. Make sure that he or she gets good feedback. Not to be confused with compliments. That's not what I'm talking about. In, in fact, most Sundays at Green Lawn, 800 people coming out of the sanctuary, good sermon is no help. It's no help. Because in my mind, I go, well, for you it was, but maybe it wasn't for someone else. Or I might even say, I didn't like it. I didn't like me. Didn't like the way it sounded. I didn't like the way it came out. It's not what I intended. Or it surprised me as I worked my way through that sermon. But I think things like, I didn't understand that. Would you help me with that? That's a, that's a good response. Man, I didn't like that sermon today. I didn't like that text. That's a good comment. Thank you. I have some insights that I didn't have before I came this morning. The third thing that I would tell churches is that it's a blessing to work with people who know that you have a bucket that needs to be filled. It's just a blessing because you know somebody's got your back. Let me give you a couple of negative examples. Uh, I, I don't want to dwell on these, but they're kind of funny to me in a way. Same church, 800 members, large, 1,200-seat auditorium. Ascend the pulpit. And there on the pulpit is a note that says, you mispronounce this word. <laughs> Unsigned. It's the, it was the devil, I, I admit. I deliberately mispronounced it the next time I said it. Just <laughs> or... Ernestine Fox in, in Lodi telling me, coming out, telling me 
uh, Ernestine's not alive anymore, so you, you can't take this back to her, uh, telling me that I should quit preaching so much from the gospel. Yeah. Or that church in Lubbock, the, the elders saying, quit preaching so much from the Old Testament. You know, that's just, that's just human stuff. You'll find versions of that anywhere you go in any institution you're in, but it just happened to be in our experience. When Bev was working on her master's degree, that was three years of, of just hard, hard work for her. And uh, one day the elder said, same church in Texas. We, we think you need to have Bev at more functions. You know, she's just not showing up enough lately. So those, those, are, those are things just kind of for color or for contrast or, you know, to kind of chew on because your relationship with pastors is going to go on. And you as a family need to to understand what kind of relationship you're going to have with them. You're inviting people in to be part of the LifeSpring family. Second, remember that pastors have unique gifts. So, first of all, pastors have needs. Second, they have unique gifts. I'm not saying that pastors are superior. Don't hear that. That's not what I'm saying because they're not. No matter what they may tell you, they are not. Yeah, I have a BA in Bible and biblical languages and a master's in, in uh, educational psychology, but it doesn't make any difference. That is unimportant in the larger scheme of things. I took Romans and Revelation and Greek and in my undergraduate work, but I've changed my opinion so much in the years following that those are just little kind of historical blips on my radar. I sort of in the same vein is I really want to know what people are reading. If all they're reading is popular stuff or probably not going to help them, you're probably going to want somebody who's thinking theologically and thinking philosophically because those are going to be people who've, who have, uh, in a lot of cases, are going to be curious. Curiosity, I think, is something that, that we need. And do they swim in theology? Remember, we've talked about this before, but Paul's letters always begin with theology and end with, with practical instruction. So Paul was swimming in theology. He was swimming in trying to understand what God thought about things. Uh, I thought about the, the U.S. and the Holocaust film series, and I, I thought, you know, it, this is really helpful to look at this and be thinking theologically as you look at it. 
what would God have to say about this? How would God interact all this, with all of this stuff? And third, so pastors have needs. Uh, pastors have unique gifts. And third, remember that you are forming a relationship with them. A real relationship. Uh, as I've said before, churches often regard their pastors as hirelings, as somebody that they get to come and do things. I've heard people in churches say, well, we're not going to do that. That's why we hired you. And they were dead serious. That's not the way it works. That's not good. Uh, a pastor ought to be a, a friend, a trusted companion. And if they can't be that to you, then you have no business hiring them. Most likely, she or he will assume that these are true, all true. Friendship, trust, shared ministry. That's when they hit the ground in Merced or wherever it may be, those are going to be assumptions that they have. They're going to say, you know, I just remember that great meal we had over at Jennifer's house and I remember her hospitality and they hit the ground expecting that that's what Jennifer's going to be like going forward. And that opening, welcoming relationship will steer him or her through difficult situations. And there will be some. I would also counsel said church to be more conscious of how their life impact, impacts the lives of their, their pastor or pastors. And I'm, I'm really serious about this. Our, our lives are intimately entwined, and you impact me, and I think I impact you. I think about you all the time. I pray for you. When you're not here, I worry about you. So, a cup, well, probably the lowest I've ever felt in my life. There's been others similar to it, but when a family left us early in our history, Lifespring had graced them in just the most loving way and they needed lots of grace at that point. And then they left us. And they left us saying, oh, we just couldn't accept somebody that was in your church, in our, in our church. And I'm using that as an example of impact. Probably took me a month to get over that. And I'm, I know that it did you guys as well. I would add a caveat. Don't ever hire anybody or form a relationship with somebody who is always using I, me, mine. Somebody who is self-aggrandizing, self-focused, directing everyone's attention to their accomplishments in life. You should be wary of that. 
One of the reasons is that ministry has this odd ability to magnetize or attract people who are personally needy. And so I, you know, if, if, if that's me, I need you to tell me how great my sermon was. I need you to do this, and I, I need you to, to use my title because I'm needy, and those are ways that I, I fill myself up inside. It's not the kind of person that should be doing ministry. Ministry should be done by somebody who gives themselves away who sacrifices themselves. I think you all know what we've just discussed. I think you know that inherently. Whoever you have at LifeSpring and now or in the future is not a superhero. They're just not. Put their pants on the same way you do. Struggle with the same things you struggle with. They can add great gifts to the mix, but they can also be taken for granted or distracted or harmed in their work with LifeSpring. And I, wanted, I, I really thought about saying this at the beginning of the sermon, but what, what I'm saying to you now applies to Joel as well. Knowledge is power. Knowledge can help you up your game. It can help you to be more effective and intentional. Don't, don't assume that, that anybody that joins our team here, our family here, is bulletproof. They're not. I can tell you they're not. This what we've talked about can help you all to be joint guardians of the flock. I hope that I've, I've sharpened your attention on that a little bit. Sort of like the safe cracker, you know, that rubs their fingers on sandpaper. You know, that's, that's what I, I hope the effect of this has been. To make you more attuned, more acute, more focused as you think about the, the health of our, our church and as you think about the people that you, you call to be part of this family in the future. Amen? Let's pray. Oh God, as, as LifeSpring enters a new stage to which you led us, I ask for you to tenderly watch over her May LifeSpring become a strong beacon of your presence, more so than she's ever been. Help her to be propelled from the effects of COVID and indolence and be energetic for you. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.